The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 397 for Monday, May 14th, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show where you send in your questions, we provide some answers. You send in your tips, we provide some tips of our own. We mix a little cool stuff found into the uh, the whole pot there. And together, hopefully by the end, we've all learned several things new about uh, about the Mac and other Apple products. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. I like several. That's good. That, that That's sufficiently ambiguous. <laughs> but it's more than one. Uh, I think we can guarantee that we will always help you learn at least one thing about your Mac or iDevice or life in general. That's and here in Fairfield, here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Hello. Hello. All right. Uh, you know, we um, last show, we mentioned the Mac Geek Gab crew forums. And uh, so I figured it would be appropriate to start this show with a uh with a question that we answered in the forums from uh, from listener Sebastian, who wrote, I'm using iTunes 1061 on a dual 1.4 gigahertz G5 running Leopard 1058. I'm now at the point that every time I open iTunes, it crashes shortly after opening it. I trashed the plist file for iTunes. It then allowed me to download one podcast before crashing again. Here's what I want to know. Is there a way I can share the iTunes library between my G5 and my MacBook Pro? I wondered to see if the uh, I'm wondering to see if the crashing still persists if I bring my iTunes to my MacBook Pro, smart move, uh, and use it there to download my podcasts and add new music to my iTunes library. I don't want to lose all my playlists trying to resolve this crashing issue. Okay, uh, so yeah, to share the iTunes library with another computer. It's actually pretty easy. The first things first, make a backup somewhere. I mean, you're kind of doing that as part of this, and, and maybe you'll deem that what you're doing here is enough, but it's always good to have backups. Second, quit iTunes everywhere because you don't want iTunes open while you're doing what you're about to do. Uh, simply copy the entire uh, home slash iTunes. Actually, it's a home slash music slash um uh, let me get the right thing here because I want to make sure I send you down the right path. Home slash music slash iTunes folder from its location on your Mac, uh, on your Power Mac, over to your MacBook Pro uh, in the same location. If you have something there on your MacBook Pro, move it out of the way first, unless, of course, you don't mind having it completely overwritten. Uh, then just launch iTunes on the new computer, and that that should do it. Um, if that still that that will certainly do it in terms of copying it over, if it still crashes, uh, you may need to do a rebuild of your iTunes library. And even then, you'll still uh, likely be able to maintain your playlists. Uh, what you do is you quit iTunes, uh, then trash your iTunes library ITL file, which is in that folder. Then you launch iTunes uh, and then import the playlist um, you go to the file menu, choose import playlist and point it at your iTunes library.xml file. And that should rebuild it and keeping all your playlists intact. Sound good, Mr. Braun? It sounds great. All right. 
want to offer a couple of other tidbits. All right. So first, so I found a, which, which I sent to you here, but an article, iTunes for Mac, moving your iTunes media folder. And it gives you some guidelines where if you move your folder, how to re, uh, how to tell iTunes what you've done. Okay. Okay. That's one thing. And the other is that if you do make a copy and I'm totally with you is that in general, you should be able to just copy that folder to pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And the other trick here is that if you start up iTunes and you hold down the alt key, it'll say, Hey, where's your iTunes library? Please tell me. And I think that effectively does the same thing as this article uh, tells you about how to do okay. it from within iTunes. But I'm totally Very with cool. you now. Now the thing that has me scratching my head though, Dave, and, uh, you know, maybe you can get some breadcrumbs here is that, you know, what's caught. And I'm going to assume when he says crash it, it in that it, when it crashes, you get the typical uh, iTunes crash dialogue. And you may be able to find some breadcrumbs. Uh, typically where you want to go is in your system folder. Uh, or I'm sorry, your library folder uh, logs, diagnostic reports. And you may see a crash report in there from iTunes telling you why it got upset. I mean, I wonder what it is. I mean, if it, you know, I have to scratch my head though, is that, I mean, if you're copying a media folder that has some corruption in it, you know, is it just going to happen again? I would certainly hope not. Now you said, well, you said rebuild. I'm sorry. So I think rebuild is what you have to do if this happens again. If you move it and it still crashes, then I guess the rebuild is the. Uh, yeah, that's the next step. By, by deleting that index file or that ITL file, I guess. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that what you said? Okay, yeah, then I right. guess, yeah, then that's somehow yeah. corrupted. And I guess that's what you got to wipe out in order to prevent the crashing. That's right. So That's right. So we already have three tips. I think we had not one, not two, but three. That's right. And uh, to try to solve this problem. You, you mentioned putting a link in our little Skype room here, which is great. Are you uh, on the fly storing these for for the immediate show notes or or should I do that for today? No, I'm not. Okay. So you got to get text expander, dude. And this really becomes like a I'm, no brainer. It's, it's yes. You, you got to get text expander. It's just part of the deal. All right. I don't want to get too distracted. You seem to be able to multitask a little bit better than I can. Yeah. I, it, I occasionally get myself into trouble the last couple of shows that I've been doing it. I, I'm doing a lot over here. I'm trying to play the things and keep the agenda in order. You know, you could, uh, you could, I know you're, you're a multi-talented type of guy. Yeah. But I don't like multitasking. It's just not, I, I'd, I'd rather focus on one thing at a time, but, uh, Agreed. You know, anyway, uh, you want to take Ricky here, John? And uh, and I'm going to take Ricky and uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them. So yeah. hold on. Here answer his question. Are. I'm going to answer his question. All so right. Ricky writes, hi, guys, I'm drowning in a sea of data and I need advice before it's too late. I'm glad he called that for help. I have a, <laughs> this. This shocks me kind of. I have about eight external hard drives, which I filled up over a few years with backups. My problem is, is that I have had no real backup system. I've never found time to go back and sort out what is on my drives. As we know, sooner or later, all drives fail. Yes. And, and some of these drives are about five years old, which that would concern me and have not been turned on in some time. I feel like I'm playing Russian roulette with my precious memories. And yes, you are. I want to be able to sort out what files to keep and back them up to newer external drives and look at a cloud backup solution. Here's my problem. I know that there is a lot of duplicate content across all these drives, and I'm hoping to find software that will allow me to connect all of these drives to my iMac and find duplicate content. I need a software solution that can drill down into the folders across all drives at one time and display duplicate files and sort by recently modified in order to decide which files to keep. And any advice you could offer would be great. Well, I'm going to offer some advice and maybe you have some additional advice, Dave, but I have a, a, at least two. So not one, but two solutions here. Uh, taking different routes. So the first one here 
is something that I've used, and actually I've used it in the, not as large a problem, but but there's something called Dupe Guru, which is a uh, open. Uh, I don't know if it's open source, but it's a multi-platform. Maybe it is open source uh, solution that will find duplicate files. So that's one thing. I used it to clean out my Aperture photo library. Okay. So that it has the ability to do that. And I think in general, it's just a good general program to look at whatever data you throw at it and it'll tell you where the duplicates are. And then from that point, I think it'll give you some idea of, or it'll give you the ability to get rid of stuff if you want to. So of course, well, well, in this case, he already has a backup, so that's good. Right. Yeah. (laughs) He has multiple backups and I guess that's the problem. But this, uh, in my experience, will be able to find uh, duplicates of data. So that's one route. That looks like a great little thing. Yeah. And again, it worked for me to find my my duplicate photos. And I think it's a good general purpose tool to find duplicates. And and I don't think there's any limitations as far as how many things you can throw at it. It'll tell you where the duplicates are. No, but it it looks like he's got uh, or they it hard coded. Uh, I didn't mean to generalize, but uh, it looks like they've got two kind of specialized versions. They have a music edition uh, that that obviously is built to target uh, your yes. music collection. And then they have the picture edition, which perhaps is what you use. Um, for, well, I guess that's just for your iPhoto library. So you probably just use the regular one. But uh, but that's pretty cool. They are multi-platform, but clearly based on these other the music and picture, which is targeted to iTunes and iPhoto, they're they're definitely Mac people over there at hard coded software. So that's cool. Right. So that's solution number one. And and I think it has a limited trial that that won't necessarily uh, do all the work, but it'll, it'll identify the problems. Yep. Then the other one, and this is something that I've used in the past as well. And uh, people I know that have used it as uh, have uh, recommended it highly. And that's tidy up. Mm. And tidy up is now up to version three. And just looking at their description here. Um, it's another option. So if Duke, Dupe Guru does not do it for you, I think this one will because it says explicitly in their description with Tidy Up, you can search your duplicate files and packages by the owner application, content type, creator extension, time modified, which which was mentioned as a criteria, time created, name, label, visibility, all that great stuff. And also give you the the, uh, the ability to, to, uh, to purge it. And uh, that's uh, about 30 bucks. So tidy up. Uh, I've used it once or twice. Uh, it, it, it um, and I think it does more. So, so I think it'll handle all the situations. There's not specialized versions that it will handle photos, music. Uh, and they mention this uh, in the product description. So, so I think either one of those are going to help you uh, clean up quite frankly, what you have now, which is a mess and, uh, <laughs> and bring it all back. Now I would agree also. I mean, if you got drives in my mind, Dave, a drive that's five years old, if it's been, well, if it either has been in constant service for five years or if it hasn't been, cause we've talked about this and that if drives yeah. just sit around and aren't used for a while, uh, there's a chance that it may not fire up or, or you're going to start running into problems here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So anything to add to this? So, so those no, are my like two them. recommendations for software that, that will, uh, that will help bring it all together. And yeah, I, I would not certainly would not spread my content across <laughs> that, that number of drives you want to, and I think that's what he's doing. He wants to, he wants to get it all in uh, hopefully one large drive. Yeah. No, what I will add, which is just ten, tangential in terms of cleaning up something that I find immensely valuable to do. I probably do it twice a year. I would say 
uh, is to run something. And, and the one I always turn to is the first one that I started using, which is Omni Disk Sweeper. There are other software packages now that are like this. Omni Omni's version is now free uh, 100%. But what it does is it goes and scours my whole drive and finds where all the largest. Fi- well, it finds where all the files are, counts up how big they are and then sorts by size. So it'll put whatever directory is the largest at the top of the list and you can just drill down and it makes it really easy and really fast. It takes a little time to go through and scour the drive at first. But once you you know, once that's finished, uh, it's really fast and really easy to kind of dig down through and say, oh, gosh, you know, I've got this this download here that's huge or a disk image or, you know, one time I found a log file. I'd been doing some testing with Skype. And uh, I turned on some logging or something. I had a two gigabyte log file from Skype. And I was like, oh, I don't need this, you know. And so it's something I run a lot. Uh, again, not, it, it, I mean, related to Ricky's problem, but certainly not going to solve his problem. It's not looking for duplicates, oh, but just wanted to throw it in there because it's handy. Agreed. And now to follow up on that, because I remember in the back of my mind, there was an issue with Omni Disk Sweeper where I believe you want to run it. If you don't already, you want to run it as root or privileged because sometimes it may miss it will some that's files. and that's true of all of these uh if they're not running as admin yeah that's right yeah yeah very good point very good point so you may have these uh, you know like cache files i think as you mentioned or other files which if you just run it as a regular user it may and people would write us saying well it said that there's this much stuff on my hard drive but if i look in the finder it says there's this much why is there the discrepancy and i think we actually have a, an article, and I'll dig around for it, but I think we actually wrote an article about how you can, or they did, uh, how to invoke it uh, as privilege so that you will you will find everything, including some of these things that are otherwise hidden. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because you would, um, yeah, in fact, we do have an article at TMO. Excellent. I'm glad you remember that. I had no no memory of <laughs> us doing that. But yeah, but we did. We It happened back in September, so it really, really wasn't that long ago. But uh, but yeah, we talk about how to do it from the terminal using the SUDO command. So we'll put that in the show notes, too. Um, and I'll make that link right now using my little text expander snippet. Omni disk sweeper as root. Awesome. Uh, I do want to talk about our first sponsor, uh, which is kind of funny because the the software that I am using to do this uh to store these these on the fly show notes and is uh is made by our first sponsor and that is bb edit from bare bones bb edit is really an all-purpose general purpose text editor that also would be it would be fair to describe it as a very specialized highly functional text editor as well it it, it it's been around so long uh that it just does everything uh and, and it does it all really, really well. And the nice part is, like any piece of software that has tons and tons of features, the ones that you don't need uh, don't really get in your way. Uh, as soon as I save this file, which is just an HTML file, because that's what we're going to publish on the web, uh, I saved it as .html. And as soon as I named it that, I named it mgg397.html. And as soon as I saved it, all the HTML in here, which are just a bunch of lists and links, all came up highlighted in different colors and it just this, you know, beautifully laid out thing from just this, you know, text that I'm blasting in there really makes it look pretty and makes it and and even better. The colors make it easy to look around and see. I can see what the names are. I can see what the links are. I can see what the tags are. 
just on quick glance because it's not all just black text. Uh, it's saving it all as black text. It's actually doing all this rendering on the fly. And that's what makes it really powerful. It, it, it gives you the experience you need without actually changing the file on uh, on disk. And of course, it does this for HTML, but it also does it for really any language that uh, that any of us could possibly think of. These guys have gone nuts baking in support for everything. And uh, and and the and you can generate tags, too. So. Uh, if I weren't doing them, you know, with the with text expander, I could go in and create lists right inside of BB edit uh, using the markup menu. You just go markup lists and uh, and you could tell it I want to create an unordered list or an ordered list or a definition and it'll lay out the HTML for you. So you don't need to think about what the code looks like. It'll lay it all out and then you just go in and fill in your elements and uh, it really, really handy stuff. And again, all of this stuff is very context uh, sensitive, it knows what language you're you're creating in. BB Edit uh, saw a huge price decrease last year, and uh, and now it's it's just you know so so affordable it's ridiculous. It's fifty bucks or forty nine ninety nine. You can go get a demo from barebones.com and I encourage you to do that. And then uh, you can buy it there, or you can buy it on the App Store, whatever you like. So uh, check it out, barebones.com. BB Edit, the text editor. Well, really, the text editor for all of us. I was going to say for the rest of us, but it's it's really for all of us. So, um, John, how you doing? Great. Okay, and, and I use BB Edit every every week, nearly every week to do the show notes. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. the, what you mentioned, the unordered list. That is, uh, the, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I love the uh, well. Once you, uh, yeah, as you said, store it with HTML. You get the color coding, and uh, it'll help you. Uh, not produce bad HTML. Uh, I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit here, John, because you no, know, you mentioned something in it and I wanted to, to clarify that back in Mac geek 391, we did talk about how hard drives that sit for a while uh, tend to have problems or at least potentially can experience more problems, even than those drives that are running. And, uh, and I misspoke and Irfan or Irfan, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, but uh, sent in this. Hey, John and Dave, this is Irfan from Chicago. Uh, just listening to Mac Geek Gab 391, where you're talking about hard drives uh, degrading uh, over a period of time if they're not spun up. Um, you did say that it is because of the uh, gravitational pull of the Earth, um, but uh, no, I, I kind of disagree. It is because of the magnetic field of the Earth that it does that, that magnetic particles have a uh, tendency to want to align with the magnetic field of the Earth, which is unfortunately degrading to the data, which needs to be set in certain polarities in order to maintain the data integrity. Um, So that level of um, entropy is lost, and uh, the uh, magnetic particles want to realign with the Earth's uh, magnetic field, not gravitational field. Uh, Just thought uh, I would kind of let you know. Uh, I'm sure you've already got this correction from a bunch of other peoples, and uh, and here's where you can cut me off. Thank you, Irfan. Yes, of course, I misspoke. It obviously is, is magnetic. It's not impacted by gravity in that way. So, thank you for the clarification. Yeah. yeah well, the only time a gravitational field will affect a hard drive is if it um, 
yeah falls for but me. it falls <laughs> <laughs> and and the g-force yes and actually you know we've seen that actually you, you know when we talked about the uh, smart reporter and stuff like that most drives have a mechanism well number one most of them have a mechanism hopefully now what is it the sudden, sudden motion sensor that's right yeah i think in the uh, i think it's only in the portables but yeah there's a, a a celerometer i think that will if it detects that the machine is falling at a high g rate which usually means it's falling off of something it will park the heads on the drive or, or do whatever to the drive telling it, whoa, something bad's happening and, and uh, you better prepare to deal with it. And uh, I guess it's better. It may help you. Yeah. But also the drive, I believe in the smart data will record that. So it'll say, oh, the, the, the maximum G's that I've experienced were this. But yeah, hopefully the, the sudden motion sensor can save your hard drive from dying if that happens. Yeah. Now are that it, it's sudden motion sensor is not built into the drives. It's actually built into the laptops, right? It's yes. built into the, the, the Apple laptops, at least those that, that need it, right? Yeah, I think it's what you call an accelerometer. It measures G-force in, in three dimensions, uh, which could be cool. And actually, I remember finding it. I'll have to see if I can find it. But there was actually a program that would measure this and show you visually the orientation of your Mac based on the feedback from this sensor. Oh, wow. And yeah, if it reaches, if it goes beyond a certain threshold in any direction, then yeah, that means your your yeah your your machine is is falling, uh, right. <laughs> or being thrown off of a a building or or whatever uh, mishap, and uh, yeah, and then I guess it, it instructs the hard drive to uh, take evasive action or <laughs> park the head. I, I guess is what most of them do, so that it doesn't damage the uh, the platter. Yeah, interesting. All right, moving on to Scott. Because uh, I thought that little tangent was, well, it was time time appropriate. We've been we've been waiting. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, well, we don't want we don't want to confuse fundamental forces. Yeah, you know, gravity, right. magnetic. That's right. And the and the force of the geek. Wait, no, that's not. <laughs> or just the force, right? The force. There you go. That's right. Yes. Yeah, you don't want to confuse the force with these other lesser forces. <laughs> uh, Scott writes. I have a problem with my Gmail account on my MacBook Pro. I have two email accounts in mail, my .me account and my Gmail account. Under the Gmail account, there is an all mail folder in which seems to reside all my mail. I try to delete these messages, but when I do, they are transferred to the trash in what appears to be my .me account. When I delete them from the trash in the .me account, they are transferred back to the all mail folder. What am I doing wrong? Well, the issue the issue is a fundamental difference between what Gmail does and what IMAP expects. So Gmail does not actually have folders, whereas IMAP has folders. And on IMAP, uh, which is how your mail dot uh, app, you know, your, your Apple's mail uh, connects to these servers. It treats these folders truly as folders, meaning if you take a message from, say, your inbox and move it to uh, one of, you know, your archive folder or a to do folder or something, it moves that message messages as far as mail is concerned, exist in one place at a time. Gmail, as I said, does not do folders. They do labels and labels uh, can be attached to or multiple labels can be attached to one message. And so the problem is in the IMAP implementation that Gmail has decided to do, whereas they've taken labels and they advertise them as folders. So when mail Apple's mail connects to the server, it sees uh, all these folders and it assumes that all mail 
is not a duplicate of anything or the contents of all mail are not duplicates of what it sees elsewhere. And that is wrong. The best thing is to, and all mail is a weird one because you know, you could manage your mail in such a way that you don't have more than one label assigned, except that all mail is going to be assigned to you guessed it all mail. So something that comes into your inbox is in inbox and in all mail. So you're going to start having weird duplicates and weird problems. The best thing to do is to not have all mail show up to your IMAP clients. And thankfully, Gmail gives us a way to do that. You log into Gmail on the web, go to settings, labels, and uncheck the show in IMAP box uh, for the all mail uh, label. And you can do this for others, too. If there's things you don't use and you just want to keep your um, Apple mail uncluttered, you can you can turn those off, too. So that's uh that should help end the confusion because you really don't want to be messing with stuff from within the all mail folder from an IMAP standpoint, because it's just going to get, you're just going to wind up with duplicates and, and all kinds of problems. So, so that, that's that John. Hmm. Any, any thoughts on this? Hi. Hi. How you doing? No, I've noticed that too. And yeah, if you go to the web interface, this becomes more apparent because right. what they do is typically they will show next to each message, the label or labels, which you don't want. Right. So yeah, I think that the, the bottom line is you don't want Gmail. You don't want to apply more than one label to any message. And uh, by default, I guess that happens with the all mail folder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ran into that too when I tried using it, and it uh yeah, it, it was very confusing. So uh and and I believe we're going to link to a, a very well written article that I think you penned. I did. <laughs> that gives you this guidance. Um. So I I'm not sure why they aren't doing a you know, pure implementation here. I'm not sure why they do what they do, but well, remember IMAP Gmail didn't support IMAP for its first several years in existence. And I'm, I think it's even still in beta, isn't it? Uh, but, uh, but, you know, so they came up with their own paradigm and, and their own thing. And they thought, and, and rightly so they really kind of pushed this philosophy of you really don't need to file your mail obsessively anyway, because search works so well and of course, this is Google. So it was, you know, that's kind of their fundamental philosophy is that search works well and you should just use search. But it the, the reality is that that's what it's become. You know, we all just search for things uh, and we don't navigate and look anymore because it's faster to just, you know, say, here's what I'm looking for. Show it to me. And and so that works in on the Web for Gmail. And it also works on, you know, on your Mac in mail. Uh but but this, you know, so Gmail didn't have folders because they didn't believe in folders, but they did think, OK, you might want to tag your mail with certain labels. And, and that was great. But then when they finally succumbed to pressure and allowed IMAP access to Gmail, well, they had to do something. And so this was sort of the, the stopgap measure. And I think they've stuck with it. Well, I don't think I know because it's what we all still deal with today. Any further thoughts on that, John? No. All right. Uh, Randy writes, I have a question that has to do with moving up to Lion for iCloud syncing while still needing access to some Rosetta programs. Similar to John with his 94 Saturn SL, I too have a tendency to keep tools longer than most people because they just work well. Right, John? Uh, and I'm sure still working. That's right. Uh, uh, back to Randy, he says, uh, one tool I find that I'm still using is AppleWorks for a few simple databases, but mainly for many of my spreadsheets. I think that there are some features of AppleWorks spreadsheets that are still superior to numbers when it comes to speedy data input. I would actually agree with that. 
Numbers has some funky things. But anyway, uh, since I've been using Macs with Clarisworks, Appleworks since 1994 in my business, I have a lot of these files that are going to be pain and slow to transfer over to numbers. But I am doing it slowly but surely. I've also been using iTools.Mac slash MobileMe for a long time, too. Of course, I sync all my iDevices with all my Macs over MobileMe. That functionality officially goes away in June when Apple will force us all to sync with iCloud or lose syncing altogether. I've been searching for a way to keep Rosetta in Lion through virtualization or gain iCloud sync functionality in Snow Leopard. So far, I haven't found a solution. I thought I'd found the solution to run Snow Leopard in VMware Fusion under Lion, but Apple makes that impossible or at least too difficult for me to accomplish so far. So do you know of a way to either uh, to do contacts and calendar syncing through iCloud in Snow Leopard, or is there a way to run Snow Leopard in either VirtualBox or VMware Fusion under Lion? Obviously, I'd prefer to move up to Lion and run Snow Leopard virtually only when needed, which will be at least weekly at the beginning. Okay. So uh, as far as iCloud in Snow Leopard, uh, it was reportedly in a test build last summer, but uh, for a, a test build of 10.6.9, but that never saw the light of day and, and it was even pulled apparently from Apple's developer site. So I, I think at this point, it's safe to say that we're not going to see iCloud functionality come to Snow Leopard, which uh, is frustrating because you can get iCloud functionality in what Windows uh, Vista, which is almost as old as Snow Leopard. So that's kind of frustrating, but it it yeah. is it is what it is, right? So it's technically possible but i think from a marketing standpoint apple is choosing not to allow it on the mac that's right i would assume that that's the reason I, i'm with you on that yeah yeah so so that's so that plan is out the window i, I think we have to assume that i mean it's may 5th 14th right so uh so so that's number one uh about running snow leopard in a virtualized uh, environment Apple's license agreement for Snow Leopard client, which is Snow Leopard as we know it. We're going to talk about Snow Leopard versus Snow Leopard server. So Snow Leopard, uh, the license agreement for that does not allow it to be virtualized. Now, the, what's important to remember is that Apple's license agreement for Lion does allow it to be virtualized. And the reason, I think, is that the server versions of Mac OS X have at least for in recent years uh, and perhaps longer back than that have all been, uh, have all allowed virtualization, including the snow leopard version. And that's so that you can run it in a, it when you're running um, servers, it actually makes good sense to run your operating systems virtualized because if you need to move to different hardware, you don't need to reinstall the operating system. You just kind of go with, you know, and just bounce it to the different virtualization engine or the same virtualization engine on another piece of hardware. So Apple wrote that into their license agreement for server for Snow Leopard, uh, but they did not for uh, the regular version of Snow Leopard, only for the server version. So uh, there was a version of VMware Fusion that uh, came out, I guess, late last year, version 4.1. And if you still have a copy of this, uh, and can remember to never let it update to 4.1.2, then you can uh, at least technically uh, run Snow Leopard virtualized. It it will go against the license agreement. And as soon as VMware uh, realized that they had accidentally released it this way, they went and updated it with 4.1.1 that took that little quote unquote bug out. Uh, but you still could run Snow Leopard server 
it virtualized. It's, you know, an expensive solution, but at least it would let you do it. So, um, so that that's one option. And then the last option is just a dual boot scenario where you boot to snow leopard, uh, from a, you know, another disc or another partition on, on one of your discs and, and just live that way. It's not perfect. None of these are perfect, but it is what it is. If you've got to run Rosetta stuff, meaning stuff that emulates power PC, you cannot do that in lion or later. So is what it is. I don't know if you have any grand ideas about this one, John. Uh, my current setup is I have lion and snow leopard. And I pretty much as I knew that, uh, I'd have to move off of Rosetta. I, I, was proactive and I agree, you know, I love it. You know I mean? You know, just like my old, you know, my old car, it still works, but, yeah. uh, but at some point you, you, you got to create and, and I consciously did this. It was very painful, but I, you know, consciously brought over all my stuff, uh, you know, using system profiler, identifying the apps that were uh, Motorola and would no longer be supported and just said, you know what, it's, it's time for me to bring that data over. So, yeah. uh, it sucks having to do that. And, and, and I think our, our commentary is that Apple is kind of forcing it more from a marketing standpoint than a technical standpoint, but well, yes, they are. Again, you can't, you like, you can't support power PC forever. Come on. I mean, and and more than that, they're actually making it so that developers are encouraged and, and able uh, to have a customer base so that they can develop for the latest version of the OS at all times. You know, if Apple was out there supporting Snow Leopard and Leopard, you know, in 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 very active ways, they certainly could. And it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't cost them very much in terms of engineering time. It would cost them some, but, mm-hmm. but hey, they can afford it. Right. But it but it fragments the market. And I mean, you know, we, we see this on Android. Right. And versus iOS. When when a new version of iOS comes out. You know, within like two weeks, it's like, you know, 70 percent of the users are on the new version, whereas Android has this totally fractured thing. And and Windows is the same kind of thing where you've got people running many, you know, no one is running any. There is no one that's in the vast majority, no one version, because you've still got people that say, well, XP is what I have to run because it's reliable. And, you know, so they even figure out ways to jury rig XP onto brand new computers. And and so I see why Apple has chosen to do this and there is good technical reason to do it. But like you said, it it's not that it's technically impossible. It's just technically better in most ways. Well, That's all. Well, but they, they have to focus too. Exactly. Like for example, I still run in my VM, in my uh, VMware VM, I still run windows XP with uh, some of the Microsoft developer tools. And, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, uh, other developers that I know that are windows developers a lot of them are still running X, XP because they saw no reason right. to upgrade because there really wasn't. Well, one, because I think Vista was kind of a train wreck. Disaster. <laughs> and that they just didn't get it right. Windows 7 is much better. And, uh, but, but, but a lot of people said, uh, there's no reason for me to upgrade. And, and there, I, as far as I see, when I run my XP implementation, there's still security updates. And it probably aggravates Microsoft to no end that they still have to issue these. Whereas yeah. Apple is like, you know what? We're going to cut you off. Sorry. You know? Yeah. Well, and Apple still does security updates for, for, uh, well, maybe for Snow one. Leopard. Yeah. But not for leopard. Um, or prior or do they, maybe they, they go, do. They go a couple of versions back for the security updates, but that's it. You know, basic, there's no functionality changes or, or improvements. It's just, you know, security updates. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I still get security updates on my, in fact, I've got a reboot pending on this machine, which is a snow leopard. Machine. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. 
you probably see them too. You just don't, I mean, you just don't think about it. You just do them when they come in, you know, like mm-hmm. you're, like you're supposed to. All right. Let's, um, let's see what we can do here for Christopher. Christopher writes, I don't think I've ever heard you discuss this before. For those of us with wireless networks at home, but without internet connectivity, how do we convince our programs not to waste so much time trying to acquire internet connectivity? Programs like iTunes seem to think that Wi-Fi should equal internet and continuously report a network problem. Uh, I use my wireless home networking for printing and syncing my iPad with my MacBook, etc. It all works fine, but I have to remember to turn off Wi-Fi on the iPad or the, or the 3G will never take over. I'd love to be able to leave my Wi-Fi on all the time and have the software know that there's no Internet to wait for. Perhaps there's a, there's a trick to make the router itself say, hey, no Internet here. Move along. I've, of course, turned off automatic update feature of the programs involved. So. You know, this one probably doesn't fit into our affects 20 percent of the audience thing. But uh, but it's an interesting conversation of essentially hacking the 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 network uh, on your on your various devices. I, it, it's it's interesting because all of these, uh, you know, all the software assumes that if it sees any network available, it assumes that it has Internet connectivity. And uh, and obviously that's not always true. Any uh, any thoughts on this one, John? My thought here was to try to see if you could disable. Well, actually, one thought, and you'll shake your fist at me, but one thought could be. Yes. Again, shake your fist, but um, shaking something well, something like little snitch. Oh, yeah. On, on each Mac. Sure. Yeah. Well, one thing is a is, is little snitch for those that don't know. And I, I, I like to use it, Dave does not prefer it. it just gets but little snitch is a utility that I'll call a outgoing firewall that it will detect outgoing network connection attempts. So one thing you could do is to tell iTunes when it's trying to phone home, say, you know what? Ignore this request. And I believe if you set it up for that, if you set up that rule, then I don't think that it's going to complain. It's just going to say, well, it's been denied. Right. So I'm going to assume that the connection is not available and I'm not going to pester you about it. Uh, as far as I know, I'll, I'll have, I'll, I'll verify it. I'll make a note to verify that, but I think that that could be one solution, but then, yeah, otherwise, you know, the OS thinks there's something wrong and it's, it's going to warn you about it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that, that could work, but, but I, I think, I think that would cause him to see more warning messages as opposed to less. You know, because as soon as the software tries to connect, little snitch is going to say, do you want it to connect? And you say no. And then the software will say, I was unable to connect as opposed to his current scenario where the software simply says, I was unable to connect. He at least gets to skip the little snitch uh, pestering uh, at that point. The, The only thing I can think of would be, you know, and I don't know how smart the software or even the OS is at at this point, but. If the software is smart enough to realize that it can't get out, then maybe it won't try. And the way things try to get out is by going through. They When you try to connect somewhere, A, you do a DNS lookup. Uh, and then once you know the IP address that you're going to go to, you um, and even for a DNS lookup, when you know the IP address, you you know, it, it, it tries to go out on the Internet and find this. And when it's looking for an address for any of these things, for DNS lookups or for web pages or whatever, uh, 
what the computer does and, and your iPhone does this, your iPad does this, your computer does this is it says, I know what my address is and I know the address that I'm trying to connect to. And then based on this thing that's in the network uh, setup called the subnet mask, it can look and, and at those three numbers, it's address the, uh, the, the address it's trying to connect to in the subnet mask. It can figure out whether that address is on its local network or at, in the outside world. And when it has to go to the outside world, it connects via the router address, which is also set in the network uh, settings, which on your Mac is in system preferences network. So, and when you connect to a time capsule, it sets itself as the router and as the DNS server. So I wonder if you'd be better off setting manual addresses locally uh, and then setting the router and the DNS server to be empty. Now I can't test this right now because if I set my router uh, to be empty, our Skype connection will almost certainly uh, go away. And, and actually my, since I'm saving to a, well, I'm saving to a Drobo here. So that that's local on the network that might work, but, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm not going to try it right now, but that, that would be the one thing that, would be kind of your way of telling the computer that there is no router, which therefore means you can't get out. And again, I don't know if the software is smart enough to say, oh, I know I can't get out because there's no there's no router in the listed in the network stack. But that that's really the only thing I can think of. And it's, and it's pretty actually pretty ingenious if I do say so myself. Right, John, can, can I get a what? Yep. what? All right. Now you're kind of dropping out. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't hear everything you were saying. Oh, really? Oh, okay. All right. Well, then, then I'll, pick up. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you hear that when you, when you, when you come back to the show, I wonder what causes your computer to do that, to, to process your spike like that. I wonder what's going on. That's so John, hack, you know. John has this, John has this issue on his machine where occasionally sp- uh, Skype or, or maybe not Skype, but something causes his CPU to spike. And then uh, he can't hear, I can hear, we can hear him, but he can't hear, uh, he can't hear us, so he'll have to uh, to consider that little bit of wisdom that I sort of came up with here when he listens I'll, back. For the I'll try to figure it out. I mean, I may have to, you know, write a question and send it to feedback at macgeekab.com. That's right. Feedback at macgeekab.com is the address to send all of your questions to. <laughs> and just to make sure I heard you because our connection's kind of wonky. It's yeah. feedback at macgeekab.com. The phone number, of course, is 206-666-GEEK. And you can call us there and leave us a message and we will hear that and sometimes even play it on the show as, as you've heard. It's also four, three, three, five. It is four, three, three, five. That's right. If you're numerically inclined for 335. Good. All right. Uh, look, I'm always looking. For How well, since we're going down this path, we might as well just yeah. Yeah. go down the entire path here. So facebook.com slash MacGeekab. We've That's been getting some questions and we've been posting some, uh, some interesting little tips there too. So actually we had a, a great little video review Oh yeah, yeah. of a, of an iPad stand that uh listener, I think it was Philip uh, sent in just, uh, I saw it today. And so I, yeah, we posted that, we put it out on uh, Facebook and then also on our Mac geek Gab Twitter account. And of course that's a, a Twitter account. You can follow Mac, follow Mac geek Gab for stuff about the show, including, show notes and uh, show postings. And then of course the little tips that we come across during the, uh, during the week that we just want to share immediately. Uh, John F. Braun gets to John pilot. Pete gets to that guy that's uh, out there flying somewhere. 
Mac Observer gets all the headlines from Mac Observer. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter, too, at Dave Hamilton. I think that's uh, that's good enough for the uh, for the contact information. For well, show. of course, there's always or it's iTunes not. comments. Mm-hmm. We enjoy those. It helps uh, helps people find the show, find what you think about it. Yeah, the vote. No, the votes on iTunes are fantastic. Yep. All right. Well, that you never know when we, you know, we try to mix it up here just to, just to keep it interesting. So uh, right. that, that takes care of the, uh, uh how to talk to us <laughs> section here. What is next? Uh, okay. So Darcy writes again, another interesting network one. I, I've been experiencing a very strange issue with my father-in-law's airport express. His iPad two connects fine to the internet and Safari. He gets all of his emails with no problem. iMessage works perfectly. He can FaceTime with us, etc. However, the iPad will not connect to the App Store or to the iTunes Store. We did the initial setup of his iPad at our place and loaded it with apps, so he was never connected to the App Store or the iTunes Store from his house. Moreover, when we visit him, my iPhone 4S experiences the exact same problem. Even though my phone service, my iPhone works perfectly with my time capsule once I get back home without changing any settings. Because both devices can't connect, the problem is almost certainly being caused by the Airport Express. I've made several attempts to resolve the issue, but I can't seem to find anything helpful on the net. What could be causing this problem? All right, Darcy. So it certainly could be the Airport Express, but I don't think the Airport Express is causing the problem itself. It's a, it's a, it would be a very specific and very strange problem for the Airport Express, or really anything to cause. But, uh, but John, I think, I think you'll agree with me, or perhaps not, uh, that this is being blocked by the provider and perhaps by the DNS provider. Uh, as you mentioned, the last question, what happens is, or alluded to in the last question, uh, was, is that when you want to connect to anything and the iTunes store and the app store are no different, uh, you say, I want to connect to, and I don't know the address, but let's say it's appstore.apple.com. Uh, you know, the, the, and the apps themselves do this. They say, I want to connect to appstore.apple.com. Then that goes out to a domain name server, a DNS server. It returns uh, what it knows to be the, um, the, the IP address for that, and then lets you through. But if that's being blocked for some reason, uh, then that, then you won't get out. So what I would try is uh, and I'd first try this on a computer so that you're not mucking with router settings constantly, but go into your computer's uh, system preferences and, and either Ethernet or airport, however you're connected. And you can do this on your iPhone or iPad too. just go into uh, your network settings and change the DNS server from the default to be 8.8.8.8. It's really easy to remember all eights, four of them separated by three dots and that's Google's DNS server. So if there is something funny, either the internet service providers, DNS server, or maybe you're using open DNS and open DNS has the app store blocked. Cause you can do that with open DNS. If you customize it, they don't block it automatically, but you certainly can customize it. That, that would cause this exact problem. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't get any error messages. You'll only get them. If you try it in a browser, you just get a weird response and it doesn't get what the app store expects. And so it just doesn't do anything with it. So that's my guess is that uh, changing DNS servers. And if, and if that uh, bears fruit, if that works, then you can change your DNS server on the router. And it's probably worth looking at what that's set to versus what it should be set to. And you certainly can use Google's. They're fine with it. Uh, but 
you know, you, you might find a problem in there. That's kind of my, that's my thoughts on it, John. Do you, do you, do was my assumption correct that you would agree with me or do you have a different, uh, yet another, uh, uh option? I agree with you, but I have a different suggestion uh, here. So both. this actually came up, but this actually came up. So, uh, you know, our good friend Barry stopped by the other day yep. and, and I, so I had the, uh, time capsule, uh, non-dual band, but it does 802N. And he had a uh, brand spanking new, uh, very, very sexy um, MacBook Air. Okay. And for whatever reason, he could not connect to my time capsule. Now, I use Mac address security, and I gave him the password and all that stuff. And it still came up and said, I can't connect. So, uh, so, so, this, so wait, 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 just, just, to, just to be fair, that's different. That's I mean, a different problem. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, I just wanted to make sure that we were right. Talking about but what, what I'm, okay. what I'm saying is you may want to consider. So, so perhaps, well, one, either there may be a firmware upgrade for the express. It's, it's a different device. I realize this, but you may also want to fiddle with the, uh, specifically. So if you go to the airport utility and then click on the device and then airport under the wireless setting. And eventually once I fiddle with these, he was able to connect. Um, okay. and so, so there's the radio mode, the channel, the wireless security method, just a suggestion. You may want to, you may want to tweak these and, and see if it allows the other devices to I, connect. I think, uh, yeah. I, I, right. think I, I think you're, I think what you're talking about is a great solution to a different problem because if these people, they're able to get everywhere else other than the, the app store. Right. I mean, it, it's not like they can't connect to the wireless network. They can't get they can get on the Internet. They can connect right. to the wireless network. You know what I mean? They, so let's just not confuse the issue. I mean, it, let's talk about this thing with Barry. But but I don't want to I don't think they're related. I don't and I don't think you do either. Um, right. I'm, okay. I'm offering a, a related something to try if, if wireless is, is not working. Hmm. But no, I agree. With, uh, no, I'll, I'll step back. I agree with you that it's a. Uh, yeah, if everything else works except for these specific applications, right? Then yeah, someone could be. But actually, no, I agree with you. Yours is a yeah. So use a different route or method yeah. of resolving addresses. Yeah, no, and I don't could, know why they'd be shaping or blocking trap. Maybe they're whoever it is, whoever's providing the service is like, well, I don't like. Now my other thing is, how is it? I mean, I'm going to assume that this is set up share a public IP address. I would assume right. that. Yes. Yeah. Like in a, yeah. In, and using, in using that right? normal router mode for yes. Yes. I would. I think that's a safe assumption, but you know, here's the thing is it could be, I mean, we, we talked about DNS. It could actually be that the app store itself is being blocked. And no matter what you do with DNS, it ain't going to bypass that. If the service provider says, no, you're not getting to the app store. Guess what? You're not getting to the app store, you know, unless you do some weird VPN tunneling or, or something like that. But let's let's um let's talk about this thing that, that you went through with Barry because you added his MAC address to your so he couldn't get on your wireless network is 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 the fundamental problem. Is that right? Well, normally no one can because so I don't broadcast the name. Not that that's a you know, that that's if you know what you're doing, you can find the name of a base station. Sure. But then also, even though I added him and so I use this level of security now, some would argue that, well, you know, it's not much protection, but it's mm -hmm. a level of protection. Yep. And so all the devices that I want to connect to my base station, I have listed in the, you know, the, the, uh, let's see, internet, is it internet, TCP, IP, I'll find it at some point. Um, but basically you can also set up your, uh, 
airport to only allow devices with a certain MAC address, which is a unique address, uh, an address unique to either the network or wireless connection that it makes to a base station. And you can set it up and say, well, only allow these people or ignore these people. Okay. Yeah, right, right. But even though I added him eventually, so he typed it all in, but it didn't come up and say bad password. It eventually came up and said, well, timeout. It was almost like it, it couldn't huh. see it. And eventually, I think what I did is I actually temporarily disabled uh, security and then he was able to get to it. And I'm like, ah. and I've seen this too. And the, 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 the way that Apple on some of their devices, that's why I was suggesting maybe a firmware upgrade is that sometimes I've seen this in, in the way Apple deploys their wireless security, you know, WPA2, or especially if you go in the wireless security menu in the airport utility and you say WPA slash WPA2, because sometimes you're going to be like, well, why is there that? And then WPA2. Well, because I don't know. they're two but, but, different. But, but again, wait, wait, yeah. WPA and WPA2 are two different security Correct. protocols. Yes. So, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's why you have both. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. Eventually, I think uh, I didn't want to spend the time to figure out why his air, because I mean, it, you know, I mean, the machines or the base station, I mean, they're not too far apart as far as a delta in how old they are. Right. I mean, you know, three, four years difference but it just couldn't connect and it was the only device in my household i mean everything else connected you know all, all my other i devices and uh computers connected to it just fine my tivo all that stuff it's just the his air and so i'm sorry for I, stupid reason i missed it did you solve it or no i had to solve it by disabling security disabling oh okay and you by used- turning it off to no security temporarily then he was able to connect to it and then once he left then i re-enabled it yeah, that's yeah. the only way i could solve it because even though i gave him the password it kept coming up with an error saying, you know, timeout or unable to connect. I'm like, oh, man. and what and what do you use? Do you use WPA or WPA2 on your uh- WPA2? All my devices huh. in the household are WPA2. Yeah, yeah it was very. I, I've seen it, That's and I've seen work. it on the Express too. When I brought brought the Express with me on vacation, I've had a, a problem similar when I've traveled with people that have different classes of machines. For whatever reason, sometimes one Mac or one Air or one i device just doesn't get it even though it's so i don't know if it's a faulty implementation in the base station that just gets confused huh and i or assume what? you rebooted, so again, it, uh, you rebooted the router during oh this yeah. process because oh yeah. you had to well yeah when i was yeah. changing the setup yeah it restarted yeah. it huh yeah that's weird i've seen that before i've never seen it persist as long as uh, you know at some point it seems to work itself out because there's the whole it generates a key every hour and you know, there's this whole right, thing. Key rotational. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Huh? So again, a tangent, but I'm with you in, the, in that the problem, if everything else is resolving and only going to certain destinations doesn't work, then yeah, it's, it's a uh, something with the provider, I would say, and not the, uh, and not the Apple equipment. Yeah. I don't think it's, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, our second sponsor for this show is gazelle at gazelle.com. And Gazelle is where you're going to go to turn your old Apple hardware into uh, fully functional cash. That's that <laughs> they, they have this. It's put Apple hardware in, get cash out. And actually, it's really not even that difficult because it really you go to the website. You tell them what Apple hardware you have, how you know, what what age, what vintage, what condition they'll they'll tell you um what they're going to pay you for it, assuming that you're the age and the condition and the, all of that is, is correct. And then they send you a box 
And so you just, you know, literally the box shows up at your house. You stuff the thing in there. You send it off to them. If it's all what they said, then bam, the cash shows up in your account. Uh, if it's different, then they'll tell you. They say, hey, look, you know, you said this was a 2010, you know, uh, MacBook Air. It's really a 2009 MacBook Pro or whatever. And so here's what you sent us and here's what we're going to give you for it. If you agree, you say yes, and boom, the money shows up in your account. You say no, they they send it back to you. No harm, no foul, and everybody's still friends. So it's uh, I've used Gazelle for a couple of things here. Always works really, really smooth, and uh, and they're really easy to work with. So it and and it's just fun just to go and and see what your stuff's worth, and and that you know it you skip the headache of dealing with eBay and Craigslist and, you know, your neighbor's friend's dog's previous owner that wants to buy it, but you know, he wants to pay you in cash and use dog food or something. So, you know, you can just go there and see what it's going to be. And it's easy. And the only person you have to deal with is the UPS or the FedEx guy. So uh, go check it out at uh, well, gazelle.com and thank him for being a sponsor as, uh, as we encourage you to do with everybody, because that's, that's part of how it all works here. And we appreciate it. All right. Uh, let's go. I know we're getting late in the show here, but, uh, but we've got so much good stuff to do. Uh, should we jump to tips here? Yeah, I think we probably should. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Marco had a very interesting, uh, thing that frankly answers some questions that, uh, that we've had listeners ask before. So, Marco writes, uh, and this is now falling into the tip category. I was installing some apps from the Mac app store and I mistakenly clicked on the X mark in the purchased list. So in the Mac app store, you've got your, your list and there's a little X, uh, and you can accidentally click it. And then boom, it looks like the app's been deleted. He says, uh, I tried to look in the Mac app store, how to get it back, but couldn't find a way. I turned to the internet and found an article on the uh, somebody linked to from the Apple discussion boards that helped me get the apps that I deleted back. The X does not delete them. It just hides them from the list to unhide your purchases. Open the Mac app store, sign into your Apple ID, choose store, view my account. Now click on view hidden purchases. It will show you a list of apps that you hid and now you can unhide. Awesome. Thanks, Marcus. Uh, I just said Marcus. Marco. Thank you. That's uh, that's handy. It's handy just to know, even if you don't remember the steps, it's handy to know that it is possible. And uh, a little bit of Google searching or searching of the Mac Geekab show notes will will get you that little. And supposedly thing. what that'll do also, though, I've had mixed reports here. But if you do click on the X, what that should do, and I found an article and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you, Dave. Mm-hmm. What it should do is suppress update notices for that app. So even though you've purchased it through the app store, say you, you want to ignore it for a while. It mm. should. So I'll find it. And I'll send it to you because we had one listener. Uh, I don't remember who it is, but he was saying how uh, I think he was saying, yeah, lion keeps saying it needs an update. And I'm like, well, this Apple support article says that if you click on the X here, it'll remove it from your list and it should suppress the update notices. And he said, well, it looks like it didn't. Though the Apple Apple article claims it should, so. Well, to be fair, that I think that particular listener that you're referring to was talking about an update for Lion. So yes, operating. But it was purchased through the App Store. Yeah, but it's not an app, right? (laughs) Right, right. But it's something in the app. But yeah, but the article said if it's in the App Store and you click on the X and it removes it, it should eliminate update notices. Maybe 
not operating um, systems. Maybe operating systems are excluded from that rule, though the article didn't indicate that. So. Well, you know, it's Apple. They get to do their yeah, things. Of course it is. Uh, and then another thing that came up in, in kind of a discussion that we were having in, in email with a listener is that carbon copy cloner. And I don't believe super duper does this. So uh, remember this carbon copy cloner will allow you to copy um, re- and, and most importantly, recreate the recovery partition. Now you could, you could, we're talking about lions recovery partition. Now you could, with any cloning utility, you could clone the recovery partition. You just kind of point the, the cloning software at it and tell it to go. But, uh, but carbon copy cloner, the first time that you do a clone of that, it actually saves a copy of that recovery partition on your drive as a, as a disc image so that you can recreate it down the road if uh, you lose it. And that, that's a big deal because otherwise to recreate it, you have to, uh, essentially do a fresh install of lion. So very, very cool that they've, they've uh, kind of figured that out and added that functionality. So thanks for inadvertently telling us about this, Tony, or maybe or perhaps it was intentional, but it came up in a sort of different conversation. Now, John, uh, last week we had a spirited discussion, albeit uh, informationally lacking uh, discussion about SSD power consumption versus hard drive power consumption. And that led you to do some research. And so uh, I'm curious to have you share uh, what you found. I'm going to spill the beans. Please do. I got the beans. So, and basically our discussion was, so so my position was that SSDs were more power, uh, less power hungry than rotational drives. And your position or your experience was pretty much the opposite. Yeah. And so we, there was, you know, the, there, there uh, was shaking of fists and disagreements. And the thing is, neither one of us was right or wrong. It was just, we had different data. So, and so I, I, I dug and what I found, so I looked at a number of hard drive vendors, both rotational and SSD hard drive vendors and got the data. So for example, the, the drives that I have currently in my MacBook Pro rotational, so it, it initially came with a Hitachi 5K250, which was the 250 uh, gigabyte drive that came originally with the machine. Yep. And uh, now all of this is based on looking at the specifications. So I'm going to trust that these guys are getting the specs right. And every drive has two ratings. Now they're measured in watts. What are watts? Watts are current times voltage, but it's a measure of power consumption. And we're going to settle on that being the standard, how we're going to measure uh, how much juice a drive sucks from your battery or your computer, though it's more important, of course, for portables. So the original drive that I had advertised 1.8 watts when it's doing work and 550 milliwatts idle, milliwatt being a thousandth of a, a watt. Okay, the so a th- drive a th- I had, one watt equals a thousand milliwatts. Correct. Just I just wanted right. to get that out there because that's important for where you're going to go with this. Right, so... The original drive I had advertised 1.8 watts when it's doing work, 550 milliwatts when it's idle. The upgraded drive that I got from my pals at OWC, which was a 7,200 RPM versus 5,000 RPM uh, and had more capacity, 500 gigabytes, surprisingly had the same read-write 1.8 watts, but also... had a lower because these guys are, you know, they're, they're getting with it. They're, they're, they're improving their technology and that had a 200 milliwatt idle, uh, power consumption. So at least in this case, this drive, even though it was higher performing, actually in general consumed less power, at least when it was idle. 
Okay. Now, then I looked at the the Samsung 470 series SSD that I did a review on, and this is where I made the comment to Dave. I'm like, well, you know, I got like a half an hour battery life, uh, you know, half an hour extra battery life for the battery I have. Yeah. I'm like, how could this be? Well, that's because this drive, when it's reading and writing, consumes 240 milliwatts. Milliwatts, okay? Not watts, like my other drive. So, a, a, And 140 milliwatts when it's idle. So it's, it's consuming so if way the, less power. The Samsung SSD that you tested consumed... One fifth the of a watt while active. Correct. Okay. Right. Wow. So their specs say, and actually now their eight okay, yeah, series, so which is the next generation, consumes in all modes, and you know the, this is the best data I could get. One fifty milliwatts. Okay. So, and, so they're consuming milliwatts, whereas the rotational drives that I've looked at before were consuming watts so yeah your observation is 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 perfect that yeah i mean it's you know like five times or or even more <laughs> yeah right right I mean, we're, so we're talking way less we are going however we're not going by our own independent power measurements we are trusting or or just reporting the specs that the drive manufacturers convey although your anecdotal uh, evidence is that with this SSD, you definitely got more battery power. So, so the specs, it was, it was definitely noticeable. Yeah, definitely I, I measured noticeable. it multiple okay, times good. using the same battery, same OS, different drive. So the only Delta was the drive. And I, and I'm going to assume that I wasn't doing anything different in my day-to-day use. I was doing pretty much the same thing, connected via Wi-Fi, doing email, uh, you know, I, yeah. So then I looked because I think your experience, uh, well, I looked at another vendor here. So I looked at OWC and OWC uh, from the feedback we got makes some pretty nice SSDs. And I looked at two of their SSDs. Yep. And this kind of surprised me. So one of theirs, the uh, Mercury Extreme Pro uh, 3G SSD, they advertised uh, between 2.2 and 2.5 watts active, which that's more than my rotational drive, but 90 milliwatts when they're idle. And then one of their other drives, and this surprised me, uh, their Mercury Extreme Pro 6G consumes three watts when it's active and 1.2 watts when it's idle. So that's kind of on the heavy side as far as uh, consuming power. On the other hand, from what I've seen, these drives uh, perform quite well. Uh, I don't think they, they really suffer from not having trim support and stuff like that. They do their own thing, but it looks like you pay for it. So that, that was the other vendor I looked at. And then the third oh, vendor right. I looked at, which is kind of middle of the road, is Intel. So Intel has a number of SSDs. So I looked at their 320 series, and that consumes 150 milliwatts when active and 75 when idle, which is really miserly. Yeah. They have a 510 series that consumes 380 milliwatts when active, 100 when idle. And then their 710 series, which, you know, as you go up here, you're increasing capacity and performance, but then their Intel 710 series consumes 3.7 watts when active and 700 when idle. So the conclusion I drew from this is <laughs> it depends on the SSD. I, 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 I want to actually get in touch with the vendors and find out what these guys are doing, whereas Samsung is, again, consuming on the order of milliwatts and some of these other guys, depending on the, the make of the drive, why are they consuming so much more power? Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, if we if we take the the ratings at face value, which, you know, again, it based on what you've actually tested seems to be correct. Uh, you know, this OWC drive, the Mercury Extreme Pro 6G or even the 3G uh, takes up what almost 12 times the power that the Samsung 470 series does. 
Is that safe mm-hmm. to say? Right? Yeah. So I think we, we and I'm sure they'll talk to us. And, and oh, the, the, a- you absolutely. Know, and, 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 you, and yeah. the thing is, you, uh, you, you pay. So I got to think they're, they're, you're either getting a benefit in performance or, you know, what they're doing in the background as far as cleaning up the cells and, and things like that. Um, right. To me, it's a head scratcher, but I'm just looking at the raw numbers here. So, so, so I guess the takeaway here is that it's not a given that an SSD will give you better battery life, but it's possible. Yeah. It depends on which one. Right. Right. And, and I just looked at three defenders here that, that seem to be the, you know, three major ones that, that, that I know of, but there's certainly more. So yeah, if you're an SSD vendor, write into us and let us know. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I definitely want to reach out to Grant and Larry at OWC about this uh, because they, I mean, they know that those guys there know their stuff. They, they don't do anything accidentally. You, you know what I mean? They, there, there's in Everything they do is intentional. In no, fact, and I even saw in their write up on the drive, they had a mention saying, you know, potentially our drive and, and, and even this power figure, the thing is, ha, uh, uh, the thing that occurs to me is the active state and the idle state is that some of these guys may actually be doing something very clever where they're not always active. Right. And then maybe if they're not actively being requested and that that's another thing I can think could be the difference between these drives is that when they're not actively being told to read or write data, they go into the idle state and then they're very efficient. Right. Right. Or at that's least that true. one drive. I mean, I saw it. It was yeah. 2.2 watts versus 90 milliwatts. It's like, right. wow. Right. So, of course, you'd always want it in that 90 milliwatt state. But how often does that happen? And, right. and I that, don't know the answer. Yeah, that might be the, the big <clears throat> difference. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, very cool. Thank you for doing that. Um, that's that's handy. All right. So there's. Two more comments that I want to squeeze into this show. And, and then that one thing at the top of the cool stuff found list, because it's related to what we talked about in 396. So uh, without further ado, we will hear from Brad. Hey, John and Dave, it's Brad from West Michigan. Hey, uh, I would probably put this, maybe categorize this as an addition to something as opposed to a, um, correction because i would never feel comfortable correcting the gods of mac hood <laughs> correct so to speak um but on your last freebie podcast you guys were helping a gentleman decide between a 32 gig second gen ipad and a 16 gig third gen ipad and david commented that really there were only a couple of technological leaps between the two and i think one of them was of course the uh the uh, retina display and the second one being the processor. And I think he also mentioned uh, the battery size as well. But I think one huge advancement also that was missed, which may or may not have been an issue for this gentleman, was of course the camera. Uh, The camera is a huge advance. Uh, The third gen camera is quite a bit better, significantly better than the second gen camera. The second gen camera, quite frankly, was, well, useless almost <laughs> so to speak but the third gen camera is quite nice and does very does a very good job with photos as well as video so i wanted to just throw that in as an addition too all right guys we'll talk to you soon take care bye thanks brad yep you're absolutely right and thank you for uh for correcting us or or adding and adding to the conversation there because yeah that the camera is huge I, I honestly the reason i didn't think about it is i never use the the rear facing camera on my on my ipad uh, it's just not something I think about, but um, 
Well, I've heard more than one person comment on how people that are using tablets, including the iPad as a camera, tend to kind of stick out in social situations. It's it's a socially awkward thing for sure. (laughs) But but even still, it's just an awkward, physically awkward thing to hold that up. Uh, But whatever, you know, it it definitely is better. Yeah, no question. All right. Uh, And then we talked about the square card reader toward the beginning of show 396. And Chris did this geeky Uh. thing with it. So we just got to share. Uh, so oh, actually, that's right. I got to uh, the, the sound is is only the sound is really the punchline. So let me see if I can find Chris's uh, thing here. Chris wrote uh, John was talking about how the square card reader worked and mentioned that he wondered how it worked. Uh, I wondered the same thing when I first got it. So I plugged it into my iPhone and instead of firing up the square app, I fired up the voice memos app and recorded this. Uh, he says, don't worry, it's just a used up Chipotle gift card, not a real credit card. And uh, and so here is this. That's it. Uh, let's play that again for uh, for those of you that missed it through. The, Can you uh, slow it down? Not not here. I can't not easily uh. in, in what we're doing with the show here. But uh, he says uh, it seems to me like it's half a modem turning the data from the mag strip into audio, which which I'm sure is right. Yep. Swiping the card faster. Well, that was my suspicion. I just took the wrong approach to try to listen to it, which is like, yeah, I guess what I plugged it into didn't have power. Right. Duh. Right. He says, uh, swiping the card faster makes a shorter, more compressed clip. I also read somewhere about another project leaching a little power from the headphone port. The iPhone plays a constant tone at max volume and the circuit rectifies uh, filters and then rectif- and then regulates the signal into usable power. It's only 20 to 30 milliamps, though. I don't know if the square uses that. Yeah, it probably doesn't. I would imagine it's just that the gain on the microphone port is hot enough that the power generated by you moving that through the strip uh, is probably enough. Uh, it may actually, it may just be that that actually, I wonder, does the iPhone generate phantom power, phantom power being uh, something that powers condenser mics? I bet it does. Um, I, but I bet it does phantom power hmm. for the mic. Yeah, I bet it does. Yeah, I don't know. But that that would be my guess is that when when you plug a microphone in, it generates phantom power because everything uses okay. condenser mics now. So I bet that's where that comes from. Yeah, well, I'm going to try that because, yeah, I, I so my suspicion is that it was converting it. The sound was correct. I just no, that's clever. That's yeah. awesome. Thanks, Chris. Um, all right. So, uh, John, we have that that one little addition for cool stuff found from the uh, you, you mentioned iBike in uh, in the last show. And then Jack wrote in. And are you going to. You got Jack's thing up, ready to roll. Uh, where's Jack? Jack. How to find Jack. Jack. Here he is. No, I got Jack. Good. Oh, wait. I only have half a Jack. All right. Oh, no. I only have Jack's response. Uh... Okay. Well, uh, Jack pointed us to an app that's free called Strava. S-T-R-A-V-A. And, uh, and this app, you put it on your iPhone. It uses the GPS circuit in your iPhone. And it also there's a web service uh, that the iPhone will will record your your path on your bike ride. And then it uses if you it uses both the iPhone's GPS as well as known map stuff to figure out your elevation changes. And uh, and and it, it tracks your speed and, of course, your average speed and your maximum speed. It points during the ride. And, uh, and this thing, it's awesome. And here's the thing, John, 
I tried this out on Saturday and I figured, you know, I don't have a way, I don't have the iBike adapter like you do. Right. So Cause that's a great mountain. This fit right in. I mean, well, right. yeah. So I just ran their software instead and it, and it worked just fine. So, so what do you keep it in your pocket? Or I what? did. I put it in my pocket and I figured, let me see if it works because you know, it's not going to be aiming at the sun. It's just going to be in my pocket, dude. It worked flawlessly. It knew exactly where I went. It had me on the right side of the road uh, coming and going because I kind of, you know, came back on a, a, a I did a loop, but but I came I, I was on the same road coming back that I was going out and it had me on the proper side of the road. So whatever it did and however the iPhone's GPS works, it works just fine for this in, in my pocket. And uh, and so I'm, I'll use it. You know, anytime I ride, because it, it does it. Like I said, then you take that data and up, it uploads it to a website uh, where you have your account and you can either share that data or keep mm-hmm. it private. But it's great because, you know, it tracks, you know, your bike rides over time and and uh, and you can yep. track your times and compete with other people and kind of make it a big social thing if you want or, or not. So, yeah. yeah. So a few other things. So and this intrigued me. So. One, they have a free service. Now, if you want to, that uh, they have a premium service just like us, uh, where you can pay a little extra money and they will give you more detailed analysis of your ride. Right. So that's the whole value proposition here. And, and yeah, so you can share your rides. But here's the thing, Dave, is they said you can run it on your iPhone, but also your iPod Touch. And I'm like, huh? Because obviously the iPod Touch doesn't have a GPS. It just has Wi-Fi. Right. But it does have Apple's location services, which can use wi-fi to estimate your uh gps location and so i tried it and i sent you a ride dave and you know what for the most part so it it depends on if you're in an area where there are enough wi-fi access points and i think they're using either google or who's the other guy that that provides that um I forget yeah, you know who it is. Yeah. yeah, it'll come. Uh, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll come to you. But yes. anyways, there are multiple people that'll provide Wi-Fi based location services that are pretty accurate. And actually, I ran it using this and and had it in the holder in the iBike holder. And for the most part, it, and it shows a little bar graph cha- saying GPS strength. And for the most part, it, it displayed it because I, I I'm in a neighborhood where there's enough of these mapped to whatever service they use where it could estimate my. It was pretty good at estimating. Um, the only thing is at one point it couldn't see any Wi-Fi, And so it showed me riding through one of our marshes here, okay. which obviously I didn't do instead of riding on a street. So their software didn't have quite enough intelligence to say, well, this guy shouldn't be riding through, you know, <laughs> a marsh. But other than that, it got my route pretty accurate. The only thing is got wrong. Again, it's using Wi-Fi is that it said my maximum speed during the trip, I think was 35 miles an hour, which uh, I- I'm not that good a biker. Okay. And I don't know what you'd have to, and I, I ride on flat roads and I don't know if anybody can reach 35 miles an hour unless you're really in great shape. Oh, going, on going downhill, you probably could. Yeah, but I'm on flat roads. So okay. I don't know. If, uh, again, if you're, if you're a uh, you know, pro biker, maybe you can reach 35 miles an hour. I certainly can. I mean, my average speed is usually, you know, 15, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Yeah. You I'm know, trying I, to think I, of what I, I do a leisurely pace. I'm trying to think of what I hit. I, my, our max speed on our bike ride the other day, but, but, uh, was 32 miles an hour. Um, our average was seven, but we also, and this is just through our neighborhood here. We, we also saw a 140 foot elevation change. So there's, there's that one fairly big and long hill and, and we picked up a lot of speed on that. So yeah, that's, I'm sure it was going down it, not, not up it. 
Oh yeah, downhill. I think you could reach that, but on flat. Yeah, yeah no, not um, on flat. Yeah, that'd be a, well. So hats off to. Uh, so this is a great service. I mean, awesome. the, the price is right. Um, it doesn't let you export the data like the other uti- like the iBike utility does. Okay. You know, you're kind of locked into their web service, but if yeah. you're cool with that, yeah. Oh my gosh, the band! Hi, band. Um, it, it was Skyhook Wireless is the uh, database Skyhook, that okay. uses. But I think some people are now using. I think Google also offers a location service. Yeah, I'm not sure which I'm one sure the iDevices are using right they, now. Yeah, they use Skyhook, or at least they did the last time they announced anything about it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, that uh, that pretty much wraps the show up for us, and and uh, and it's about time to do that. So I, I do want to thank our sponsors for not just this show, but for uh, for the month of May, and that is of course BB Edit uh, from Barebone Software, Gazelle.com, uh, as we mentioned, PDF Pen, and everything really from Smile Software. And VMware uh, with the coupon code MGG that'll get you 10% off. So uh, so thank you to all of them in the podcast marketplace there. Uh, let's see. I want to thank Michael Johnston. We want to thank Michael Johnston for converting most every show to AAC. He actually didn't get 396. He ran out of time and pushed out the non-enhanced version so that you would have the show. But uh, but for the most part, he gets them done, and, uh, and we certainly appreciate that. It's awesome, actually. And, of course, we want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And we'd like to thank you for listening and subscribing and doing what you do, sending in your questions and your tips. It's good stuff. No, no, thank you. And thank you, John. Thank you, Dave. You're quite welcome. And just for that, I do have one last piece of advice. Because if you don't, if you haven't learned anything else yet, this this is going to be it. This is the one. Don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.